In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. How's it, everybody? What's up? Uh, hope everybody's doing well. I haven't made a little video in a while, and I just kind of wanted to reach out to everybody, let you know I love you. Hope everything's going well for you. And, uh, you know, I had a couple interesting thoughts that I just kind of wanted to throw out into the world and see what had happened. I've, I've taken up a new way of looking at life, and it's been really beneficial for me. And I kind of wanted to share it with you. I don't know if it's maybe my age or maybe COVID or, you know, just having a little bit more time to reflect on my life and society and seeing what's happening around the world. But the way I chose to start seeing things is kind of like this. Whenever you meet somebody, be it the first time or maybe it's somebody you know, you, you may have experienced this. So let me just start like this. So you ever meet somebody and you kind of begin to judge them a little bit? You're like, oh, they say like this certain thing or they drive this certain car. They wear this certain type of clothes or maybe they have like some strange mannerisms. And as soon as you see that, like it triggers something inside of you and you're like, oh, I know what that is. You know what? The, you know why they do that? Because they're arrogant or you know why they do that? They probably do that because they're insecure. Whatever little, you know, mannerism or whatever thing they're doing or whatever it is that causes you to judge them, like that always intrigued me. And I sometimes I thought, oh, maybe I'm a good judge of character or maybe I'm a lousy judge of character. But what I've come to realize is that the things that you see in other people are the things that you know about yourself. And it's <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing. And if you want to do an interesting experiment like a social experiment that you can do and no one really has to know about is if you went to a park or a crowded room or even like a family gathering like just sit there in silence and look at everybody and like judge them you know how people say don't judge them like totally judge them just be like oh this motherfucker i know what this person's doing 
you know, just go ahead and like let your mind roll. And if you're going to get dirty, get dirty. You want to judge, do it. And just think about all the things that you think about those other people. Let, like let your mind run and do it for a while. Like do it for like 30 minutes. Just look at that person. Be like, I bet they do this. And look at that person. Oh, I bet you they're like that. And then look at that person. And, and oh, I bet you they do this. I bet you do that. It's kind of fun, you know, in a, in a weird sort of, uh, you know, in a way that's kind of, we don't talk about too much. But after you do that, then look in the mirror and judge yourself. You know, it's it's something that, like I started off doing that. Like I would just go to these places and I'd be like, that, you know what that guy did? You know why he does that? Because he's insecure. That's why he does that. You know why he said that thing? You know, or I find myself at times pretty judgmental. But since I started doing that, like I'll judge people and then I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, how did I know that that person did that? Did I just make that up in my mind? Or do you think that really that person really did that? And the truth is, all those things you see in other people, at least for me, all the things I saw in those other people were either things that I didn't like about myself or they were things that I did like about myself. Because it works both ways. Like, you know, I used to, there was this one guy, I, I just used to, this guy at work, and I didn't like him at all. And I thought to myself, like, why don't I like this guy? I'm like, oh, he's weak. You know what? He's always like backing down. He's just a big, giant baby. I don't like him. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that's what I don't like about myself. You know, I don't like that when I'm weak. So that's why I hated that guy. That's why I didn't like that guy because he exposed something about me that I didn't like. And so if you can begin to like start this process, it's really beautiful because then you can begin to see other people, their strengths and their weakness. And those other people you see, those are your strengths and weaknesses. So in a weird way, this is where it gets a little out there, but like in a weird way, I think that that's the way the world communicates to you, right? Because I believe we didn't come into this world. I believe we came out of it. And so did everybody else. So when you see these qualities in other people, that's the world showing you what you're deficient in or what you're excelling at. And I think that if you can begin to see people like that, it takes away all the judging, you know, and it takes away all the differences and it just makes it your differences it just makes it something that you know instead of acting on on those differences it it forces you to act on yourself and it's just a better way to like treat people and it, you start to feel better about yourself i think another point that i was kind of tripping out on is just where we are in society it seems we're like at like i labeled this video called the fourth turning and it seems to me that like there's different seasons in life. You know, just like there's seasons on the planet, so are there like different seasons in life. And if you if you look at the different generations, like right now we have all the baby boomers that are retiring at unbelievable paces and unbelievable speeds and you know that like that's they live through one season. And then you have like Gen X coming up and then the millennials behind them. And I think that the different generations have done all they can to try to make the world the best place. But we're at this transition point right now where, you know, there's a lot of people in their 60s and 70s and even 80s, like in some of the most, in the highest positions of power. And it seems to me that society is a direct reflection of the people that are highest in power. And that's why things are kind of broken. You know if, especially the monetary system. 
I was listening to Jerome Powell speak about the about what's going on in society and in the world, and Lord knows that the complexity is a huge issue. However, it seems to me that people that are maybe in their 70s or 80s are, are they're really set in their ways and they have these ideas of how the world should work. Let me give you an example of what I mean. A lot of people get up and go to work every day and they get a paycheck. They work Monday to Friday or you know maybe Monday to Saturday or whatever they work. A lot of people that get paychecks, they get paid on a Friday, maybe twice, maybe once a week or, or twice a month. And that system has been in place for a while. But some of the new ideas are like this. Why can't you stream your paycheck? Like imagine if you could stream your paycheck the same way you stream a TV show. Like you could literally be working and then look at your phone and be like, oh, I got paid this minute. I got paid like every second. You could get paid by the second. Do you have any idea how much more efficient that is than getting paid by the hour or paid by the week? Like it just makes everything so much better. And this is a direct reflection of the new ideas that are making their way into our world now. I was speaking with my dad a while back, actually last weekend, and, and you know, he's like a lot of people his age, he's affected by the different, you know, legacy media. You know, you have like Fox or CNN and you know, this particular form of media is catering to a certain audience. And he was you know, just distraught with the way the world is and economics and stuff. And, and if you look at the world through the lens of CNN or Fox, what you see is a society that's dying. What you are being told is about how ideas don't work and the system's bad and there's just no, there's no out. But that particular line of rhetoric could also be used for the baby boomers themselves. Again, the society we're living in is a direct reflection of the people that are running it. And so for the older generations, things look pretty bad. They look pretty grim. And that's one foot we have in that world. And I was explaining to him, you know what, Dad, you're right. Like, that is pretty grim. But if you just looked over here, there's this brand new world being born. Like this world of finance that I was telling, that I just spoke to you guys about, about streaming your paychecks, about decentralized finance. Like... Think about the how dumb a bank is. Like you work your ass off all week, all year, 40, 50 years, however long you work. And then you take your money or maybe you have it direct deposited. The money you earn, you give to somebody to hold. Like what? Are you what are you 5 or 6 or 7? You 10? You're going to take all your money and give it to somebody you don't know so that they can hold it for you like you're a child? Then the people you give it to hold, that institution, that bank, it takes your money and it lends it out in like risky assets and can make 10, 12, you know, 30, 40% on your money. And they don't even give you a cut of it. And if it's a large amount of money, you have to ask them for permission to get your money back. Have you guys noticed that you go down to the bank and you're like, oh yeah, I just want to get out like maybe 10, 15 grand. And they're like, what? what? You want $15,000? And you're like, yeah, it's, it's my money, right? Don't you just give it to me. And I'm like, well, I got to have a manager come over because, I, you know, what are you going to use it for? <laughs> you know, it's like the ultimate, it's like the ultimate fuck you. Like, that's my money. Why? You, it just makes you start thinking like how dumb banks are. Like, we don't need that idea. That idea is an antiquated, old, and stupid idea. You know, it, yes, it's a little bit more difficult to be in control of your money. But again, you're not a child. 
I think that that's another huge generational gap that we are seeing in society today. And especially like, to, there's a lot of my, a lot of my friends on this page are the same age as me. I went to school with them or maybe some of my little cousins or people that are a little older than me. Like we're in this weird spot where, you know, we can understand what like our parents were saying. We can understand the older generation and we can also kind of see the younger generation. So we're kind of this bridge between this world of dying ideas and a world of new ideas, some of which might be a little bit naive. But I think that that's our job as Generation X. It's like we're the bridge. Right? We're not big enough. Like we're not we're not the baby boomers and we're not the millennials. But we're kind of the grease. We're the bridge in between those two generations. It's going to help facilitate the new world coming in. You know, I to to think about other ideas like what do you think happens? Like, let's say that this world of decentral finance comes in and we can, we can stream paychecks. We can treat money like email. You know, there's a lot of disruption happening right now via cryptocurrencies. I don't know if you guys have been watching what happened in China, but they just came out with the digital one. And it's, it's a little bit frightening in that they now have the ability to put, not only to track all your money, but they have the ability to put an ex an expiration date on their money. So imagine like you get like a, imagine you have like a PayPal account and the government puts in five grand and you're like, yeah, it's got a $5,000 stimulus. But then you, you start reading and there's some notes on the side and the notes say this money's good until for a month. And then it's, then we're going to pull it out of your account. And like, whoa. So you have to spend all that money within a month. Like what if you want to save that money? What if you don't want to spend stuff? Well, then you lose your money. So, you know, there's, there seems to be, in my opinion, like three competing ideologies of, of where we're headed. And one of them is like this green revolution, which, you know, I can understand why some people don't like it. You know, it seems to be, it seems that like the, the green revolution is kind of, it got co-opted by big business and profits and, and stuff like that with the corruption. Then there's like the idea of like the being spied on all the time, you know, like the uh, surveillance capitalism model. And then there, there seems to be more like a, like a, I don't know, maybe like a, maybe like a, this, this idea of us going back to like the fifties or going back in time model. But I don't, I don't think if I had to pick out of all three of those, I think that, you know, the, the sustainable, like, I don't really like that word sustainable, but I think that that is probably where the most money is going to be put in. And, and so if you can understand where the most money is going to be put at, you can kind of see where the future is headed to. But I wanted to stick a little bit more on some of this decentralized finance because I, I think that what we're seeing now is a disruption of the monetary system. You know, I, I'm not an economist or a financial guy of, of any shape or form, but I, I read a lot about it and I, I try to stay on top of it because I, I think there's a real opportunity for all of us here that get up and go to work for a living to control your own finances and your own money. And I think the way to do that is through these new digital currencies. You know, I, 
I see that if you have money like in the S&P or any in the stock market, you're probably up 30%. But what you really have to ask yourself is like, are you super smart and you just made 30% in the market? Or has the value of the dollar just been crushed by 30%? It's probably option B, right? And so it, for me, it's so fascinating to explore these new ideas. If you guys get a chance, there's a site called Binance and it's like a cryptocurrency exchange. There's, it's based out of Malta. It's worth checking out. It's called Binance. There's another one called uh, Coinbase and that's, most of you have probably heard about that. They're about to have a direct listing on NASDAQ on the 14th. And this particular exchange is going to be, they did like over a billion dollars last quarter. That's kind of fascinating to think about. They're going to be, they're doing a direct listing and they're going to be in a year bigger than all the other exchanges. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? The reason that is, is because they are like the first movers on cryptocurrencies. So I know I kind of dug into finance there, but I kind of wanted to bring it back a little bit more to the world of philosophy and just talk about, you know, the world, what's not only what's happening in the world, but like the opportunity we have to build a better relationship with everybody around us and and maybe some about maybe a little bit more about some antiquated ideas that we've had i'm going to use this term called the spectacle and what i mean by the spectacle is like when you go outside and you see everybody hustling and bustling imagine looking at society as like a third person quiet you know kind of outside of everything just watching and that's the spectacle there's some really i wanted to read to you like there's a there's a couple i read this paragraph in this book it's called the society of the spectacle if you get a chance you pick it up it's really it's really good it's pretty deep but let me read a quick little paragraph to you guys and you can tell me what you think the unreal unity proclaimed by the spectacle masks the class division on which the real unity of the capitalist mode of production rests it's a mouthful, right? Let me read it again and I'm going to break it down. The unreal unity proclaimed by the spectacle, it masks the class division on which the real unity of the capitalist mode of production rests. The hell does that mean? So think about the unreal unity. Like what is it that unites people? And my idea of what unites people, unfortunately, is all these different isms, right? It's like, nationalism socialism communism racism you know gender social orientation any any ideologies these are these are this is what i call an unreal unity because it's all that truly represents is a small sliver of similarities in a group of people and people rally behind that because there's no real unity these are just similarities that facilitate an unreal unity so if, if you can apply that to your life, you know, if you, if you feel like you're part of this particular group, oh, I'm like, for me, example, let's just say I'm part of this group of devastatingly handsome, super intelligent truck drivers, right? It's a very small group of us, but you know, it's a very elite group, but I'm just playing, but you know, all those, they don't really create unity. All those are similarities in a group. If you can understand that 
this unity that you feel with a small group of people is is not really unity. It's just more similarities. I think that will help break people out of of like identity politics and help break people out of this us versus them paradigm that seems to be jammed down our throats. The next one is what obliges the producers to participate in the construction of the world is also what separates them from it. What obliges the producers to participate in the construction of the world is also what separates them from it. You see, within the seeds of success are also planted the ideas of destruction. You know what is the perfect damn symbol? Now that I think about it, you guys know like the town and country symbol or like the yin and the yang symbol that's like a white paisley and a black paisley. And then it has the black dot in the white and the white dot in the black. Like if you just take a minute to think about that symbol, like that, that says everything, right? They say a picture's worth a thousand words. I would venture to say that that particular symbol is worth like a million words because within each of us, is that little thing that we hate. You know, just like that kind of sums up everything I was saying from the beginning. Like that, maybe you're that little white dot in the black paisley, or maybe you're the little black dot in the white paisley, or maybe you're the white paisley, or maybe you're the black paisley, you know? But like everything you do is bound to end up a certain way. And the, the good intentions you have there's a real possibility ends up paving the way to a, to a place that is not what you intended, right? The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So here's what I wrote about that, which obliges the producers. Like you have to ask yourself, what is it that obliges the producers to build the world? I think that profit, fame, fortune, survival, legacy, you know, the, those eternal drivers that each of us have, like that's what causes people, like the pain, right? The carrot and the stick. That those drivers cause people to go out and do great things. Like when when I believe that when humanity and people are put up against the wall, like the real producers, the real heroes come out and they make things happen. The the what's amazing about that is that those same people that make things happen for everybody, it's that same person that gets alienated from the society. You know, they go from like this hero to being alienated. Like think of, I don't know if you guys know about Howard Hughes, but like think about that guy was just on top of the world and then he locked himself in a hotel room. You know, and, and one reason I think this happens, it's kind of, I, I found it, I found it both disheartening. I found it both liberating, but disheartening. Kind of like a young boy that pees his pants in the middle of class. You know what I mean? Like it's disheartening and you're like, oh. or you're liberated. You're like, oh, I feel so much better. But then you're ashamed. You know what I mean? So it's, it's liberating and then shameful. And that particular idea is the higher you go up into the world of anywhere, man. Like if, if you're going to reach the pinnacle of like a multinational corporation, a board of directors, a city council, like think of any position of true authority. I'm not talking about being a manager at McDonald's, but even there you would probably still see this. The higher you go up in the hierarchy, 
the further the scales are removed from your eyes and you see the truth for what it is. And in our society today, what that is, is that nothing matters but profit and productivity. And that's why our world's so fucked up. You know, think about it. Like, I, I know so many of you know what I'm talking about. Like, if your wife or your husband or you or your kids, if they're moving up the ladder and they're getting, maybe they started their own company and now they're all proud and now that they're, they're beginning to see like, oh, I got to manage these people. Oh, I got to fire this fucking guy over here. Why? Oh, because he didn't show up three days. Why didn't he show up? Oh, his kid has fucking cancer. Right? Like, you know, the higher up you go, the less you care about the true humanity of the people that are working under you. Not because you're a horrible person, but because if you care too much about that, then the product you have or the service you're providing is not going to be able to compete at a level that's going to bring in profits that the shareholders want. I've, I have seen this play out and I, I've, I've sat across, you know, I do a lot of work for the union and I know what you guys are thinking, but unions are awesome. You know, not, not all about them, but the idea of the union is awesome. The idea of a group of people working together to benefit the whole is something that I believe in it. I know some people don't like unions, but then I would just point you to the Constitution that says, we the people, in order to create a more perfect union, right? Unions get a bad name. Anyways, I've sat across from a lot of really high-level executives from, you know, like regional managers of multinational corporations. And I've, I just sat to myself and like, dude, how in the fuck did this dumbass get this position? This guy is just an arrogant, condescending fuckhead. Like, how did this guy get there? And after you ask yourself that question so many times, you start to realize, like, oh, you have to be that guy to get that job. They're self-selected. Like, you don't get to move up into a really high-end power of authority unless you can see people as numbers instead of people. And I think that's true throughout the world. It's kind of a sad truth that we've gotten there. And I think that that's the, it's sad to me. But I think the higher you go up in that hierarchy, the, the more, the higher you go up, the more you understand the view from where you're at. And I think that at some point in time, you either end up, like if our society continues to go down that route like we you know we end up concentrating capital at the very top and and that's what you're seeing now you know whether it's like like take a look at our country for example there's all these rights in all these different places and you got to ask yourself like you know are these people rioting because they're white or because they're black or because of gun rights or because of a boy you know are they really rioting for those reasons or you think that they're rioting because all of the resources have been sucked out of their community. All of their lives have been just streamlined into this idea of you're a number, you must produce this, all that matters is profit. You know, we've destroyed so much about our culture that brought us together. And when we, you know, when, when people got nothing left to lose, they lose it. 
you know, shoot, man, I, I bet everybody listening to this has had some point in their time where, dude, you've almost lost it, or you know people that have, good people that have lost it, and you're like, man, I get it. Like, I see why they lost it. Like, you know, there's there's so much heartache out there right now. And it's, it's not necessarily just because of COVID. It's not necessarily just because of race. Speaking on race real fast, did you guys see Charles Barkley? That guy, dude, that guy's so awesome. He was on national TV and he said this, I think like a week ago, Charles Barkley, the hero, that guy's a legend and a hero. He says, you know, I think the majority of all black people and white people are awesome. In fact, I think it's the, the political class and the corporate class is just trying to divide us. Like, dude, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All this, all like these white supremacists and all like the BLM, like, I think they're a small fraction of the whole. They represent two extremes that if you, in reality, like they're the same person. Like they're, they're both violent extremists that want their race to win. Where the majority of us are like, hey man, what are we, why, why are we fighting each other? Why don't we take our country? Why don't we, why don't we work together to take back what we want? Right? Like that's that's the real issue, I think. So, let me get back to where I was. I kind of went on a little bit of a rant there, but so another one that I wrote down is like, here's another reason why things tend to end up the way they do. What brings together men liberated from their local and national boundaries is also what pulls them apart. That which, let me read it again. What brings together men liberated from their local and national boundaries is also what pulls them apart. So let's think, let's break that down and talk about that for a minute. So what is it that brings together men liberated from their local and national boundaries? Okay, this is where, the idea that I came up with is like, think about a really good community leader, like somebody everybody loves, like be it a community organizer or a, a community lawyer or just like a, a PTA mom, you know, but somebody in the community that everybody loves. See, people put their trust in that person and that person goes and speaks for them to maybe other like-minded people in other communities. So this is this, you know, they have this ability to understand what their community wants and that liberates them from the rest of the community. That, that gives them an opportunity to go and speak on behalf of the people they're representing. But it also pulls them apart because now they're in a group of like-minded people that are all speaking for their communities. And at some point in time, I believe what happens is the people begin, those people begin to compromise. Well, I can't get everything from my community, but I can get a little bit. And it's this, it's this, methodology of compromising for the greater good, right? The concept of the greater good is a concept that no particular individual should have the ability to put on anybody else because it's, you know, it, it's such a corrosive force, the greater good. Like who in the hell are you to decide what the greater good is? But unfortunately, as humans, because we're lacking Sometimes people have to make that decision for the greater good. If you're a father or a mother, there's probably times where you have to sacrifice and make the greater good call. But far, far too few, 
there's far too few people in positions of authority that make the greater good call and actually sacrifice themselves. When people in positions of authority today make a call for the greater good, be it Jerome Powell or Biden or Trump or any of these people in positions of authority, they're not sacrificing. They're sacrificing you. There's a really good quote that says, if, you're, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. And let me tell you right now, all of us don't have, we're all on the menu because the, the only true, see, I'm going to bring it full circle back here. Rising up the ladder, rising up the hierarchy means understanding the truth, means understanding that money is the only thing that really changes minds. And that's why all the lobbyists and special interests have the ear of our government. Our government, while, has, while still has the potential to work for us, has been just taken over by special interests and corporatocracy and technocracy. And there's no longer any space left for the guy that gets up and goes to work or the woman that gets up and goes to work in the morning. And, you know, we've been reduced to, we've been reduced to a productivity number. You know, number seven, five, three, four, two is not producing as well. Maybe we get a robot to do their job. You know, it's, it's so sad to me. Let me ask you guys this one real fast. Like, so one reason our economy is the way it is is because when you crunch the numbers on Wall Street or when you look at the GDP or whatever these silly barometers are, you know, they look at how much we're producing, like our gross national product. We're producing this much, making this much profit. You know what? You know what we don't ever count? We don't ever count the hours a woman puts in at the house raising a child. We don't ever count the amount of hours a man puts in raising his kids. Like none of that. We don't count, hey, how many hours? There should be, you know, every family should be forced to go out and do 20 hours of awesome family time. Like that should be, you should get paid for that. You know, like, I know it sounds crazy, but it's really not crazy. You know how much better kids are when two parents can go to the park and play with their kid and throw a frisbee and go to the beach and go and hang out with their grandparents. Like that particular style of parenting and that particular ability to spend time with your family is going to create a more balanced and better person in the future. We should be incentivizing that. Like that should be incorporated into our gross national product. That should be incorporated into you know, how the world lives instead of just seeing this cold calculated ideas of profiteering from production, you know, why not have this new set of ideas that incorporate, you know, creating well-being and family into your life. Like th think about it. If you're a, my, my wife, beautiful, phenomenal, I'm so lucky. You know, she she works from home and she spends so much time with our daughter. I'm working 60 hours a week. I'm off today, by the way, just so you know. But, you know, if I'm working 60 hours a week and my wife's trying to work 40 and my kid's not going to school at times, my wife's working 40 hours a week plus 24 hours a day with our baby, you know? And why is that not factored in? You know how freaking hard that is? Like, you know how hard it is to be a parent? 
and work and try to pay bills and try to be a good dad and try to be a good mom and try to be a good husband and try to be a good wife. Like, why is that not factored in into the economy? That's crazy, right? All right, let's get back to this. I have another point that I, that I was putting in. What requires a more profound rationality is also what nourishes the irrationality of hierarchic exploitation and repression. What requires a more profound rationality is also what nourishes the irrationality of hierarchical exploitation and repression. Wow. I think that's pretty deep. If I was going to break that down, I, I would say that that's a matter of like, you know, the outlier decide, deciding what it takes to be a leader and then not allowing anyone else to take his spot because they don't have the ability that he has. Something along those lines, you know, you you create this rigid hierarchical structure when you when you begin to see yourself as the perfectionist that no one else can do the job because ah, they don't quite have this thing right, you know, or you see this a lot of times and you see this a lot of times in, well, I'm sorry, I've seen this a lot of times, not only in myself, but other people who have, you know, maybe they wait a long time to get married and they have dated a lot of people. You know, it's kind of a weird concept, but like, like say like the more people you date, like and you're, you're like 35 and you've had all these different relationships, then you meet this other person and you're like, well, they don't really have the same quality that I liked in this person that I would also like in this person and in that person. Like, you know, sometimes we don't realize that by waiting and being so choosy, that we're denying ourselves of the life we could have. You know what I mean by that? I don't know. It's probably, it's it's a hard world to live in. I don't want to get too, too deep into that one. What creates the abstract power of society creates its concrete unfreedom. Like what do you think creates the abstract power of society? Like what we should define abstract power of society. I would say that the abstract power of society are incentives. And what provides incentives is money. So that the abstract power of society is the monetary system. You know, which which kind of brings us back to an earlier topic that we were talking about in the show. Like how much how much freedom does money I mean at some point in time, enough money will bring you freedom. But if you're always just chasing, if you're just chasing the almighty dollar, you know, it's it's pretty difficult to be free. You know, so many times you go out and you buy something, and you're like, yeah, this thing's super awesome, and then you get home and you don't even use it. You know, you've just been conditioned to spend money on something that you don't really need. You're spending money you don't have on crap you don't need. We substitute our desire for fulfillment with commodification. Does that kind of make sense? Like, imagine being away from your kids. So, like this, everybody probably had to a degree does this, where 
you feel guilty about maybe not being around your family. So, you know, you go on a trip or you buy something nice or, you know, you just re you replace the lack of time, your most valuable asset with a commodity, a shiny rock. And I think, I think there's a limit to that. And I think we've, we're coming, we're rubbing up against it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, how much longer can we continue down this road of everyone giving everything they have to support an economy that never gives back? You know, fewer and fewer and fewer people are able to get anything out of what they've put in. I was listening to an interview about this gentleman that moved to Uruguay and, uh, he was one of these older guys that just doesn't give a, he doesn't give one F, you know what I mean? And he was talking about taxes and all the money that's been printed lately. And he says, you know, it's, it's sad to me that people don't truly understand our economic system more. Like no one really takes the time to educate their kids on what money is or why we're working so hard or what taxes do. And the guy that was interviewing the older man said, well, you know, we've printed 30 to 40 percent of all dollar bills in the last year and a half why don't why do we got to pay taxes and the old guy's like you know this is what i mean people don't understand he's like you know why you pay taxes none of your tax money goes to build roads none of your tax money goes to build a better society or your retirement that's all bullshit what you're seeing right now in the government is the, the curtain being pulled back when they want something they just print money and buy it Right? The Fed prints money and they go build a road. The, Fred, the Fed prints money, they build a bridge. The Fed prints money, they pay salaries. You pay taxes to keep you afraid. You pay taxes so you got skin in the game. You pay taxes so that the dollar is worth something to you. You pay taxes so that you'll get up and go to work every day. Like just, I know it sounds crazy. We've all been told that taxes are for the roads, but it's bullshit. The only reason you pay taxes, and I pay mine, I mean, you know what, you're staring down the barrel of a gun if you don't, but the only reason anybody in America pays taxes is not to build roads, not to build infrastructure, none of that. It's so that you have to get up and go to work every day. It's a way of seizing money from you. It's a way of taking your time and your labor and giving it to someone upstairs so that they can control your behavior. You know, and it works. It works. Like, it works. Ask Wesley Snipes if you don't believe me. <laughs> That's the promise of blockchain technology, though. Like, you know, let me ask you guys this. What would our society look like if we could decouple Money from state. Remember back in the day, they 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 decoupled church from state. Therefore, like the priest or the pope doesn't run the run the state. Well, see, now we have this new thing. Now we have money runs the state. So essentially, the Fed. Does anyone think that like Jerome Powell is less powerful than Joe Biden? He's not. Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, the board of directors. The Federal Reserve is the most powerful institution on the planet. They run the central banking, they, they run, you know, the Bank of International Settlements, the IMF. The banks run everything. The banks run everything. 
there's a cool experiment you can do. If you look back in history, it's usually the tallest, you know, and you can, you can go back in it. The tallest buildings are a symbol of the most extreme power in the world. It used to be that the castle was the biggest building because the king was the most powerful person in the land. And then what happened? Here's the castle and the church steeple came up, right? And that signified that the church now had power over the king who had power over the land. Now what? Now you go into like New York and you can see that one of the biggest buildings in New York, like the, the financial buildings, the biggest building was the Twin Towers, right? Remember that? The big skyline? What happened? That was a symbol. The tallest towers are usually the, the, the towers financed by banks, which, you know, if, if you just follow that scale, I know it's kind of archaic, but if you went king was this big, church was this big, and now the biggest, the biggest towers are the bank towers. That's who runs the world. And it's the monetary system that runs the world. And I would argue that all this COVID nonsense, all of these distractions about BLM and white supremacists and vaccines and old versus young and men versus women and gay versus straight, these are all just distractions. These are ways to keep people fighting amongst themselves so they don't realize how bad they're getting screwed. Right? That's what's happening. Their monetary system has failed. It's failed. And people are scrambling. That's why we've seen the release of the digital wand. That's why you're going to see the release of the digital dollar coming by July. By July. Read the headlines. Like They have a digital dollar coming by July. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for society? What are the rules going to be on that? The reason they're moving so fast is because things like Bitcoin, because things like Ethereum, because exchanges like Binance and Coinbase are vastly more productive, they're vastly superior, and they are liquidating and destroying jobs at a pace that is unheard of. Think about what all you've been told about, about how automation, did I say that right? Automation, thank you. Automation is, oh, the robot's going to take your job, you know? Uh, there's going to be only self-driving cars and no one's going to work in fast food restaurants or work in factories. Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. I see Uber. I still see people working down at the restaurant I go to. But you know what I do see? I see tens, if not hundreds of thousands of financial jobs never coming back. Think about all the people. Look, we just talked about banks. All these kind of high-end white-collar jobs in the financial institutions that are really just bullshit jobs. They're just jobs for a middleman, some dude with his handout that wants to get an exchange rate, or somebody like Western Union that like, oh, you want to send money to your family in Guatemala? Okay, pay me 20% of what you're going to send, and then when your family picks it up down in Guatemala, they'll pay another 10%. And for what? So these people can send money? Like that's all going away because with Bitcoin or any other digital currency that you want, you can pretty much send money like an email. And if you think about that, imagine we're getting back to streaming money again. Imagine what happens to the world when you can stream money, when you can get paid by the second. Imagine how many jobs are gone forever. And it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's not the people that provide value for our society. Those jobs are staying. 
Like if you work with your hands, you're going to be okay. If you work at a job where you provide real value to people, you're probably going to be okay. If you work in an industry that skims money off the top or takes a cut of this or, you know, just is like a middleman, your job's probably going to go away because there's so much, they call that leakage or slippage, right? When you send money back and forth or when you're, when you're moving things between different entities, there's all these middlemen and that's where your, that's where your value slips. The slippage is going away in my opinion. So. Well, that's kind of what I had for today. I, I kind of just want to do a little bit. I haven't talked to everybody for a while, man. Just love everybody out there. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you continue to have a great day. And you can understand a little bit about the spectacle of society, the fraud of satisfaction. You know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that you can maybe apply some of the things we talked about in the beginning about seeing the world different. You know, it's such a beautiful idea. And I promise you, if you just choose, it takes a little bit of work, but if you just choose to view yourself different or view your relationships different, then you'll act different and you'll be different. And just do a quick thought experiment. Like when you're at home with yourself, maybe before you fall asleep, think about all the ways someone could view you in a positive light. Be like, you know, Maybe people see me as someone who cares. Maybe people see me in a way that provides value for them, or maybe they look up to me, or you know, maybe I can start doing these other things for people that would make their life better. What else could I do? If you start asking those kind of questions, I think that you'll start seeing results in your life and your relationships that will be worth more than almost any amount of money could ever be to you. And I think that's how we begin moving forward and building the society that we want to. And for people my age, I'm 47, so for all the Gen Xers out there, you know, remember, you're the bridge. You understand what your parents and your grandparents have talked about and the lessons they instilled in you. You understand their ideologies and their, and their ideas. And you also, maybe you have kids or you've, you've, you know kids younger than you, the millennials and some of their ideas. So you're the bridge in between that. And I think it's up to us. I think we play a critical role in bridging the gap between, hey, some of these ideas we can't let die. You know, some of these ideas that the boomers have put in us are really good ideas. They got to stay. Some of these ideas that the younger kids are bringing up are kind of naive. They're not going to work. We can't control everything that happens. But as good shepherds and as good mentors and role models and fathers and mothers and friends, I think that we can we can play a role there in facilitating that uh the, the name of this video is called the fourth turning and there's a really great book called the fourth turning if you guys are interested in the generational seasons of our planet and and how things have gone over for the last hundred years and cycles and stuff like that it's a really good read so i'll try to put that in the show notes down there uh thanks for spending some time with me i love you guys and uh anybody who ever wants to come and talk to me just put a comment down there schedule a date and Let's chit chat a little bit about what's going on in your life. I, I kind of want to do this new series called, um, it's called, uh, the hero's journey, you know, but I think the real heroes are you, you listening. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, 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 all you, man. The real hero is the person that gets up and 
lives their life every day. You don't want to talk to some moms. Like, how do you have three kids? Like, how do you do that? Like, that's amazing to me. You have three kids. You're a, you're a, a wife, a mother, a sister. You have all these roles you're playing. How do you do it so successfully? You know, and how, how do you as a dad go out and, and do this job? I think that that's interesting to me. And so you're going to see more of that from me. It's going to be called the uh, hero's journey. And it's just going to be stories about people that you and I know and what they've done with their life and little secrets that they have done to make their life better. I'm talking to, uh, hopefully pretty soon I'll give you guys a little teaser. You guys know Nick Dragomire? Awesome guy. He's moved down to uh, Mexico and he's doing some big Hello, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.